Welcome to episode 50 of the PharmExec podcast. I'm Kristen Harm, associate editor of PharmExec magazine and our podcast host. PharmExec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. Okay, guys, episode 50, that's unbelievable to me. It feels like it feels like we just launched this like not that long ago. We're on our third full year, 50 episodes. I got to say I've really been enjoying the ride so far. Um, It's been very rewarding. We've had such a great collection of guests. I can't wait to see, you know, who we have for the next 50 episodes and really just thank you all so much for listening to us and, um, and our podcast for the last three years. It really, it has been amazing. For our 50th episode, I'm pretty excited because we're talking to Michael Stritzella and he's like such a great guy. He really, he made us laugh a lot, um, you know, warmed us up a bit. We had a lot of laughs before we started the episode um, and even after the episode. So he's the head of federal government relations for Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. And he's got a couple of insights for you guys on pricing issues in the industry. So if you just stay tuned really quick, we're going to um, hear a short word from the Truth Serum Network, and then we'll be back with Mike's interview. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truestherumntwk.com. Hello, hello again. Today, Elaine and I are interviewing Michael Stritzella, the head of federal government relations for Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. Mike's here to talk about the current climate in Washington around pharma pricing, the challenges he encounters, and what he believes needs to change in the industry going forward. Thanks for joining us today, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. So Mike, just to get started, could you describe your current role and your involvement in pharma policy? Sure. So Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney is a national law firm with about 15 offices, but I focus on federal government relations work. So that means working with the Departments of Health and Human Services, FDA, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and Capitol Hill, both the House, Senate, and the larger building of what we call the White House at 1600 Pennsylvania. So really, it's to be working with our clients Uh, lobbying, which isn't necessarily a dirty word, despite public opinion, and working really to drive their advocacy and their strategic business goals within the halls of Congress and our government. Okay, so what are some of the major issues that you face in your work surrounding pharma? Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've seen what one of the number one issues issue is during this election year, which is pharmaceutical pricing. Uh, So one of the things that we work on very aggressively uh, is making sure that members of Congress have an understanding of one, why a drug is priced at at, uh, the number that it is being given. And second, what are the different types of prices, right? Because no one drug actually has just one price. It's 
it's like thinking of a car. Yes, it may have a price tag of what it costs to make and what it might be listed in one dealer, but because of all the dynamics around drug pricing, which is so convoluted, which is so difficult to understand, it's making sure that the people who are trying to drive some of these policy debates have a really good understanding of the differences between what a wholesale acquisition cost might be versus an average wholesale price. Um, what does a, a discount coupon mean? What does this insurance rate versus that insurance rate, what formularies mean? And then how does it also affect government payment, Medicare, Medicaid? So those are a lot of the challenges that we deal with. And then another piece is really working with our clients um, in the pharmaceutical area to make sure they have an understanding um, or making sure that FDA has an understanding of what they are trying to do and during their approval process of a new drug. Okay. Could you shed some light on the current pricing ecosystem, taking into account the distribution chain and the lack of transparency there? What does sure. transparency mean for affordability? Well, you know, we have seen for most consumers, their idea of transparency is, or reducing drug costs, do they have more cash in their pocket after they leave the pharmacy? It's that simple. And for every individual, it's different. What I may pay for an EpiPen for my daughter may be very different than what my neighbor may pay based on insurance, based on the deductible that I have. It's not just an insurance company, but it's also the type of plan that you have, and that can vary. So when we talk about that transparency, when we talk about that overall drug distribution model, for most consumers, they see it as the manufacturer of a drug, they go to their doctor, they get a prescription, they go to their pharmacy, they get it filled. What does this mean? The reality is there's so much more in between. There's so much more going on between the R&D costs that go into developing a new drug, um, maybe not necessarily this drug, but that's drawing resources from that pharmaceutical company. It's also moving to the insurer, the employer, what type of negotiations have they have? They're involving a, uh, a PBM. Uh, what's the relationship with the pharmacy, the wholesaler? When you think of all of that, and in many ways, a lot of people think of it as a very secular process. It goes from one bucket to the next, and that's not the case. There are a lot of arrows going in two different directions between um, the consumer and the pharmacy and the PBM and the drug manufacturer and what's the formulary, what's the rebates. So it's so complex that it's extremely difficult right now. So when we talk about that transparency, when we talk about uh, cutting out the PBMs, PBMs have a very significant role in the drug pricing chain. Uh, they are working with insurers, making sure that the formularies uh, have uh, not only the drugs on them, but that the providers within those insurers are actually recognizing uh, what's some of the, the latest medical advice and technology uh, that could be going on with some of the prescriptions. So drug makers started 2020 by increasing prices by 5.8%, which was just below where it was a year ago. And then Pfizer led by increasing prices more than 9% on 40 products, followed by 60 additional drug makers. To what do you attribute the recent increase? Well, I think throughout the year, there are, they're, they're not only looking at predictive models for 2020, 
but they're also looking back at 2019 and what type of prescription patterns were there, what type of things that they may have misread as far as the cost of uh, producing that medication based on supply, demand. We also have to recognize that we're talking about an industry that's constantly striving to bring new innovations. It is not because they are necessarily demanding it of themselves, which they are, but quite honestly, the patient population, people in the United States, people in other countries are demanding better technology or better uh, medicines. The reality is 20 years ago, I probably, if I had a really bad cold, I most likely would have drinking a lot of tea with honey and OD'd on orange juice. Now, I'm gonna call my physician and try and get a Z-Pack and take five different pills over the course of four days and be done with it. So those are things that are also putting people back at their jobs faster, uh, so we don't have that absenteeism. It's helping the economy when we get people well. A healthy America is a healthy workforce. So I think when we look at these things, we have to recognize that more is going on with R&D. We also need to recognize that there are companies out there who are challenging some of these companies um, and their competitors by having different models, what I call kind of a virtual paper model, where they may not be the big branded pharmaceutical company on the side of the road driving down a major interstate, but there's somebody who's working out of their office with various contracted people helping them run the company and put it together. The other is there is a cost of inflation that's involved here. And that's a major piece of this of recognizing the cost of inflation and the cost of doing business. That's constantly changing. And with such a very large, whether it's a manufacturer, whether it's the PBM, all the different players within that cost model that we just talked about, we have to recognize that everybody's taking a little bit more piece of the pie and that that's just something that needs to be done. And even though we've seen that price increase on that one number, that may not necessarily take into account all the other costs that may be more, more relevant or more realistic to an individual. That's a really good point, which brings me into the next question. Where do you think we're headed in terms of middle of the year prices and how do you think the election year might play into this? I think they're going to be directly linked. Uh, we are going to be in the heart of not only a presidential election year, but some very key United States Senate seats, House representatives, Democrats will be trying to defend their majority. They do not want to be there for two terms and then leave. They want to stay in the majority. Republicans will also be challenging uh, aggressively. And the one thing that I think we've learned over the past, let's just say two years, over this past Congress and election year, the year before that, is that this is not a partisan issue. Now, there are definitely ideological differences of how to get to a resolve of trying to simplify the cost structure around pharmaceuticals that may lead to more dollars in consumers' pockets. But when we're in the middle of a presidential election cycle, we are going to have the Democratic convention, the Republican convention. We're going to have members of Congress and challengers walking the streets, knocking on doors. This is going to be a topic of conversation. And I believe that we're not going to necessarily see, at least I would advise people, 
not to necessarily raise their prices mid-year um, unless they want to be in a, a presidential tweet. I have one more question for you. What's your long-term vision of pharma pricing? Well, I, I think when we start to see this, it's not necessarily pharma pricing, it's more pharma policy. I think we're going to continue to see the advances of great medicines. I think what we will start to see is a shift in the government side. I think that it is inevitable that we will start to see some type of negotiated prices at the Medicare level. And Medicare payment has a tendency of driving commercial payment. It is something that either brings down or allows people to gauge what prices might be. So we just saw that this administration came out with a new proposal to provide block grants, what they are calling healthy adult populations. And, and they are working now to do where it's a set set of dollars to state Medicaid programs. Well, how is that going to affect the Medicaid formulary? So that's going to change. So we've started to see some of these payment models come out that will have a trickle-down effect. And pricing can be like a balloon with so many pairs. If you squeeze in one area, it's going to pop out on the other side. And when you start to squeeze in too many places, the overall structure can implode or explode. So I think we will see um, not necessarily grand scale pharmaceutical pricing reforms this year, but I do think that we could see a shift towards um, some type of Part D reforms to try and lower costs. Um, the president is being extremely vocal about how he was not going to let this issue go. He is going to continue to push for reforms. We have seen that he has come out with trying to drive generic approvals so there can be competition on the market. If you look at 2018, there were 781 new generic approvals. The following year, last year in 2019, we saw almost 1,200. Uh, the president has tried to do some Medicaid Part D, Medicaid rebates. That's going to take some congressional intervention. We know that he's continuing to talk about international price indexes, where he's going to look at the, the median price, the average price of different countries, and try and pull that into um, a, a price point for a starting point for, United, for prices in the United States. Uh, he tried to do where there was going to be more transparency in drug ads. I actually personally think that would have provided a lot of confusion because of all the things that we've talked around for individuals, everybody pays a different individual price. So having one, one number on there may not necessarily be reflective of what is an individual I may be paying. Drug importation. He just came out with the regulation. We have to see how that's going to have a downtrodden effect on cost. Uh, Florida will be looked at as the big model. Uh, their governor is extremely supportive of this, has passed things. We've seen a state up in the Northeast. Um, we will have to wait to see. The problem with that issue is everybody's turning to Canada saying we can get drugs from Canada, but Canada saying we don't have enough supply for ourselves, let alone now to start supplying the United States. So when you ask about what does the future look like, are we going to start to see an increased manufacturing out of Canada? Are we going to start to see companies shifting their priorities to not only manufacturing in the United States, but maybe manufacturing in other countries? Are we going to see countries such as Mexico wanting to start to enter into the United States market for competition? 
I think we're going to see some reforms around orphan drugs. We've, we're seeing Congress taking an examination of that. And we will definitely see a continued examination and reforms around intellectual property rights of pharmaceutical companies. And not only the process around getting a patent or what can be patented, but also the relationships, the financial relationships between how patents get transferred. It's gonna be a fun year and it's not gonna end in 2020 because any new president or existing president, uh, if President Trump wins re-election, will continue to wanna drive costs down. You know, what, what, is, what is the definition of down? Less than the year before, less than five years ago? So there will be continued scrutiny of this industry for years to come. Sounds good, thank you. Thanks for being with us today. Of course. We appreciate you sharing your insights around the current state of pharma pricing with everyone. It's, um, it's a important topic for not only our economy, but also for consumers individually. And we will continue to, to try and make sure that uh, Congress and the White House has his best understanding of what the industry's perspectives are. What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at truesterumntwk.com. And now it's time for this week's leadership tips from pharma execs. Hi, my name is Michael Strazella. I am head of federal government relations for Buchanan, Ingersoll and Rooney. And my leadership tip is to always stay true to your ethics, values, and most of all, enjoy what you do. This will ultimately turn into respecting not only your colleagues, but all your business partners and allow you to become respected within the community. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We're always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive, and also on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of Farmexec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mmhgroup.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mmhgroup.com.